here. Make this is for the record. For the record. In the words of Martin Lawrence, shit just got real. Shit just got really real. Yeah, let's do this. Right. Hello there. Welcome to episode 34 of For The Record. My name is Sean Tierney and I'm going to keep my intro much better and briefer than last week. How the fuck are y'all doing? And how are you doing, Zach Buggy? I am not too bad, but I did also want to talk to you before we went on like recording with this to say, should this not be episode 33 part two? Rather than episode 34. Oh, we man, who knows? We're anal about it at this point, yeah. Does it even matter? I don't know. <laughs> you know, unless we have, we actually have one of those like really weird fans, like some corner of the artist, like actually guys, I would count this as 33 part two. 33.2, yes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know really. I'll decide when when I do the edit for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I like I would give anything for us to have a proper weird, sick, weirdo fanboy out there. That would be the best thing ever. Yeah. You're more if you're out there, buddy. We appreciate you, and we want to hear from you. You send us your top twenty albums, and we will fucking read them out. I promise you, and we'll rip them apart. Probably. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's why we we, we kind of need to do an evaluation of that, getting people to send albums in again, and kind of you know, because like I want I I don't want us to get an an attitude for just shitting on albums that people send in it just so happened that the album that was sent in I really didn't fucking fuck with that was just but, pure that was just the look of the draw that was all it was um, but please yeah send send records in for us do. to review it and if you if any of you out there have top 20s fucking send them to us on Facebook or Instagram or whatever I want to see them I love lists my favourite yeah. shit of all time I put up we a big both. post on Instagram about the Spotify wrapped because I'm like oh you're going to hear everyone giving out about oh no one wants to see it I fucking want to see them. I need to see that shit. I find it fascinating. I love it. So do I. I love seeing people Spotify rap. I love like, it, man. Because you know, like you can be, you, you be, you you realize, oh fuck, they like that as well, or they don't like that, or you're like, you're like, you like that. It's great. Are you listen to that, like, or yeah, yeah, it's great old fun, man. So you know, yeah, please send us your top twenties, or just send us messages to to be shocked if we omitted anything that you think like deserves. Absolutely. Or if like the genres we're talking about, if you feel like there's releases in those scenes that like you can't believe we didn't give a mention to, please badger us online. We love it. Oh, love it to bits. Um, so yeah, we did our we did our twenty to eleven last week, and that was a hell of a ride. And it was crack. It was. I uh, we're gonna get into the into the fucking deep end. The tippity top. So we are. Um, are you ready? I think so. I'm about okay. as ready as I'll ever be. To be I honest. guarantee you, you are not ready for my number 10. I don't think you're ready for my number 10. <laughs> Fair. Uh, right. Uh, right. We're just going to get into, here we go. Top 10. Big boy shit. Let's go. Um, my number 10 is the single biggest musical surprise of the year for me. I cannot... I cannot believe this is in my top 10. I mean, I spoke about Greg Pucciato, Blood Command, fucking Talk Crimes, Birds and Raw, albums I fucking love. And here we are at number 10. The 1975, being funny in a foreign language. Holy Jesus, <laughs> Paul. Yeah. 
I, I had that in my honorable mentions last week. It, yeah. it, it, if I look at my list, hold up. On my top 50, the 1975 is 26 in my yeah. top 50. It's number 10 in your 20. It's, your it's number 10. I, oh, I'm i not going to go on about this for too long for two reasons, because we covered it a couple of weeks ago um, yeah. and it's talked about it in depth. Um, and the other reason is my deep, deep shame that the 1975 are in my top 10. That I'm only messing, really, because this is a fucking outstanding collection of cultured, mature, clever, sophisticated, fun, pop, indie music. It's a monument of personality indebted to the cream of funk and soul and 80s pop. It's arranged impactfully, delivered with supreme confidence and formidable expertise that you can only really achieve when you're the biggest band in the world. And the 1975 are. I am still fairly sure that Matty Healy is a wanker, but... <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, um, this is a stunning record. And do you know what? I am absolutely delighted to have been proven wrong about the 1975 because this is some of the best songs in the year. Looking for somebody to love, part of the band, and my absolute favourite, I'm in love with you. Um, this is masterful, infectious, and magnificent. The 1975 being funny in a foreign language is my number 10 album of the year. My number 10, I, again, because I have shit for brains, I can't remember, was this in your top 20 or was it just an honourable mention? I think it might have just been an honourable mention. But my number 10, after much deliberation and re-listens and re-evaluations, and it just had to be here, above everything else I mentioned last week, number 10 is Drug Church Hygiene. Drug Church, I said, was basically my 21. If I was pushed, that would be my 21, I think. Yeah, there is just something about this drug church record, man. The fact that, like, again, drug church are a great example of, you know, you, there's almost a fucking genre now called hardcore adjacent. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, it's not technically just hardcore music, but I don't know what it's, it fucking is, except it's just adjacent to hardcore. It's it's trudgy, trudging, trudgy, Jesus Christ, I'm just going to smash words together. It's trudging, but it's anthemic and it's aggressive, but it's pop music. And like, I, I remember showing it to a buddy of mine and he turned to me and goes, it's like, what did he say? It's like emo sludge weezer. And I was like, yes, because I mean, even Million Miles of Fun, that big single, it, it's this huge anthemic downstroked Weezer riff, but almost done in such a way that it has this sludging, oppressive kind of edge to it. And and I mean, let's face acts as well. I mean, the vocals and the lyrics on this thing are just brilliant. Uh, uh, Patrick Inlan, I mean, he's in self-defense family as well, but his work in drug church, I really enjoy much more. And there's, you know, someone said before, you know, one of the beauties of his vocals is that he can't stay you know, like he doesn't really have one pitch that he stays on. So like, he, I think that he used that as advantage to the fact that, like I said it when we reviewed the album on, on one of our early episodes. Episode he almost, seven, all the way back. All the way back in episode seven, I said about his vocal takes that he almost records three or four at once. So there's like this, 
you know, there's like one really relaxed take, one really apathetic take, one really aggressive take, and they're all kind of layered on top of each other. So it's like you're hearing like someone's warring emotions about like these topics. Mm. And then, and just the fact that, you know, the album is just really sardonic, really aggressive, really poignant. You know, we said that song, you know, there's that huge song in the middle that sounds like a fucking... It's got like a Pixies Cure kind of edge to it. And then, and there's Smith's influence. There's so much like shoegaze and like new wave in this fucking like 26 minutes, 10 track hardcore album. And it's made up of hooks and huge riffs. And it's just brimming with personality and edge. And it's so, like I said, it's super sardonic and sarcastic. And it's a little, like you sounds like World Impact, which are really like, you know, the lyrics talk about, you know, a, you know, a dude stabbing another dude in school and going to prison and getting out and his life being fucked. And it's, but, and then, and then like, I mean, it's, or even Million Miles of Fun, like I mentioned earlier, that refrain, you know, the news flash, I need news less. You know, it re the album really just kind of charts, you know, suburbia and people's problems and people's, but, it, and it's done in such a, you know, it, 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 <laughs> It's done in quite a like nihilistic manner, where but the album never, but there and there is kind of a there's a hope, like even on that old closing track, athlete on bench, it ends with this real hopeful kind of anthemic kind of like just triumphant ending to what is essentially these ten scrappy. I I just I you see I'm I, I'm struggling for words because it's just such a strange album to me. I mean, it's ten tracks, twenty six minutes. It's a hardcore punk album drawing on nearly every style of alt rock from the last twenty to thirty years, and it's just incredibly well polished, well performed, uh, hyper aggressive, hyper catchy, super engaging, super dynamic. Drug church hygiene. It it just walks over so many albums I have loved this year. It just. It because it scratches so many itches for me all at once, and and yeah. if you read really want to fucking delve into the album more, check out episode seven. Episode we're, we're, seven, yeah. So all the way, church. all the way back then. Um, oh I agree what you said. It's it's really fueled by personality. It's great. That drug church album is fucking great. Um, it's funny that you brought up sludge so many times in that um little summation of drug church. Because if, I think the album you're about to talk about is much higher in my list. I would, you I, I think it is. That. Yeah. Um. So I won't keep you too long. But um, my number nine is, of course, the Sludge album of the year, Chat Pile, God's Country. Um. Sometimes some records are so attention grabbing and violently arresting that you just can't tear your ears away from them. And that's what God's Country is. It's ugly, disturbing shocking and it's it's inescapable it just grabs you and it fucks you up for its whole duration um like i said is it sludge metal i don't know it, loosely yes um it doesn't quite cover it even though it is accurate as well there is a bang of new metal off of this record particularly some of new metal's darker aspects um i think i complimentarily referred to it as kind of like the good bits of coal chamber in parts there's that really loose bass sound it's really dark it's really heavy and it's all it has it's this really conscious mentally disturbed look at the lie that is the american dream 
and it features a performance for the ages from the frontman Reagan Bush. He veers wildly from anguished howl to piercing scream to the ravings of a madman. This record is so intense from start to finish. There's no let up, no escape from its sinister, malevolent presence. I found it to be a truly gut-wrenching listening experience and it's almost panic-inducing in points. It's hulking, ominous for every second of its runtime. And it's very challenging, like really challenging. It's a lot. This is not for the faint-hearted. Uh, look, we covered it in episode 24 and I'm sure that it's going to be much higher on your list, as you said. So for a more in-depth look, uh, listen out for for Zach and also go back to episode 24. Um, I just want to say I love this record for how uncomfortable it makes me and for truly plumbing the depths of human existence and like the depths of depravity. And my standout track on here is Why? Because from the lurching riff to the wild, insistent question of why do people have to live outside, it's one of the mental songs of the year and one of the very best on here. It's truly shocking at points and very, very scary. Chat pile, God's country, my number nine. More on that later, dear listener. Yep. My number nine. Last week, I talked about uh, super intense ridiculously heavy 17 and a half minute hardcore album uh, Mind Force New Lords and when I was building up to it you Tierney thought I was talking about another intense ridiculous 18 and a half minute hardcore <laughs> album I did which is where I arrive today and my number nine Terror Pain Into Power this fucking album is Everything I love about hardcore and everything I love about aggressive music. Terror, for anyone who doesn't know, are seasoned veterans of the hardcore scene by now. And each time Terror put out a new album, it's a consistent, reliably aggressive good time. But for this record, they just wanted to they wanted to dig a little deeper and they ended up reconnecting with Todd Jones from Nails. Or is it Todd Phillips? No, Jones, I think, yeah. Todd Jones, yeah, I back myself. Todd Jones from Nails. And he was an original member of Terror back in the day. And then he left amicably, went off, started Nails, made a whole living out of, like, super aggressive, hyper-brief, hyper-intense, noisy hardcore. And they decided to reconnect with him as a producer for this album. And... Jones just full on told them, you know, in the studio when they were kind of like asking his insight for vision or whatever, because the, the last couple of Terror albums about half an hour long, you know, like normal length albums for a hardcore band. And Jones full on told them, he says, what you should do is almost verge on power violence, drop the groove, drop anything catchy, just let just make this like barely 20 minutes of go for the throat intensity and they ran with that idea and like i said the album's 10 tracks it's 18 and a half minutes most of the tracks on here barely make it over a minute it's fucking so intense it's so aggressive it's it's pummeling and punishing i mean there's a great track uh with uh, george fucking corpse grinder fisher from cannibal corpse on it and to hear corpse grinder from cannibal corpse using his trademark erg over this rapid fire fucking hardcore and that's th that's the thing about this album it 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 is the sound of seasoned veterans 
reminding everyone in the genre like why terror is still such a name paid all of the credence and reverie and respect it does in hardcore because they're all like pushing 50 and they could literally come out with it like an album this late into their career that's this heavy this short this confident in its own message and its own aggression and its own edge that like 10 tracks 18 and a half minutes of decimating fury and the thing is Strangely enough, as aggressive as the album is, I mean, and, and lyrically, like, this album is quite nihilistic, you know, it talks about the world just being fucked and violence and betrayal, and it talks about real personal issues and, you know, fallouts in relationships and real self-deprecating fucking, like, nihilistic, like, be like behavior and, like, really, like, taking himself to task for things, but then there's also this strong sense of like the camaraderie uh, and the unity of hardcore music and the fact of how therapeutic it is as a genre and like as his art form, you know, there's a great bit in Unashamed where he says, you know, uh, he talks about it being our brotherhood and then he talks about it being our brother and sisterhood. And I think it's a very like modern, inclusive kind of way of talking about how hardcore is an inclusive genre. So, and the opening track, the title track, Pain Into Power, he says, you know, like your turn to even the score, we're still dedicated to hardcore. So, I mean, the album is very much a rallying cry for the therapeutic drive of the genre. 10 tracks, 18 and a half minutes of viciousness. This is the fucking best anger management therapy of all time. By the <laughs> end of it, all, yeah, all the, by the end of it, all you want to do is hug every single sweaty, neck-tatted person in vests you can see because it just makes you, like, feel a love and a bond for hardcore through the cathartic aggression of it all. This The, the album is so intense, so aggressive, and just, oh, it is... It, it it is the be the best purest example of just pure unadulterated hardcore in 2022 done by OGs of the scene. Terror, pain into power, fucking chef's kiss. Had to be in here from the amount that you've got on about it this year. It had to be in here, like, um, and I'm I'm delighted it's up this high as well. And I suppose if you're going to turn to someone to up the nastiness and shorten the runtime, Todd Jones from Nails is about the best in the business. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, Terror. That's a fucking great record. Absolute fucking punishing bastard of a record. Um, my number eight. In a year where this band release an album chances are they're going to have to do very little to get into my top 20, such as my love for them. Um, the band are called Deluna and the album is The Long Road North. I fell extremely hard for Cult of Luna in 2019 when they released A Dawn to Fear. It was my album of the year that year. And I hear you, but your favourite band of all time are Tool and they also released their comeback album. And yes, they did. They released Fear Inoculum in in the same year as Adon to Fear, and Adon to Fear is still my album of the year from that year. Um, as I said earlier, I mean, Alexis on Fire, Otherness is like fucking not even in yeah. my top 20. Yeah. They're my favorite band. So that's how fucked up like a list can be. Yeah. Like. Exactly. Um, I just, I found Cult of Luna's grinding, punishing post metal completely intoxicating. And having since investigated their entire back catalogue, it turns out that Adon to Fear was not a fluke because they have some unbelievable albums in their discography. Unbelievable. So I was super excited about The Long Road North, particularly after the release of the Raging River EP last year, um, which is like a bridging album from Adon to Fear to this. And this does not disappoint. I don't think it quite reaches the Mount Everest highs of Adon to Fear. Despite that, it features some very interesting collaborations um, with film 
score composer and alternative musician in his own right, Colin Stetson. And his musical additions and arranging now have really added to Cultaluna's already spellbinding sound. There's a true sense of journeying on this record. It feels like a pilgrimage into the great unknown of the vast white expanse of the Arctic. And it's just fabulous. I said it in the review before I'd seen the film and I stand by it now that I have seen the film, that this would have been an unbelievable soundtrack to the Northman. And again, with the recent cold spell we've been having here in Ireland, it's snow above me and the window above me. Um, it just feels like a perfect time to revisit it, you know. And I just, when I was doing the research for the, the top 20 and listening to back to the Ollie albums, I was just like, oh, God, I love this band so much. And it just, this makes sense when you're surrounded by cold and dark, but it makes the cold and dark not seem too bad. I just fucking love Cult of Luna. I love their power, their groove, their experiments. And while I don't think this is their best album, because that's a really fucking high bar, it's still better than most of the things I heard this year. Um, and as usual, I think they're just streets ahead of most of their peers. Fucking unreal as usual. And the standout track and offering to the wild, like it's a full six minutes before we hear any vocals. And when it's modulating keys and different moods, the song conjures, it's just sublime. Cult of Luna, they're just better than your favorite band. Like, you know, I just fucking love them. And the Long Road North is just such a brilliant addition to their um, back catalogue. That's my number eight. My number eight. Uh, but that Cult of Luna album is smashing, by the way. It's proper fucking epic as balls. That was the second thing we reviewed, I'm nearly certain. Second ever episode, yeah. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Oh, it feels like a lifetime ago. It does. It does. It feels like young. It feels like more than a fucking year, anyway. Mm. My number eight is the self-titled debut from No Pressure. And I knew this was going to be really high because... No Pressure is essentially a super group, if you will, or a side project, started by uh, the guitar player from a band called Light Years, who I'm not too familiar with, the drummer from Regulate, who's a band that you had at in your top 20. Number 19. Number 19, and more on that later. <laughs> from, uh, and the vocalist from The Story So Far, Parker Cannon. Mm -hmm. Now, The Story So Far, emo, melodic, hardcore-influenced pop-punk band, who be one of just my favorite bands in general. I've seen them live a bunch of times. And they've they've veered later in the years to a more kind of emo alt-rock sound and a lot of differing influences, like a lot of those bands have done. So No Pressure seems to be almost like a scratching of the itch for Parker Cannon to go back to a band and write really just fast-paced, you know, unadulterated hardcore influenced pop punk with no kind of need for big singles no concern for playing bigger venues it was kind of just just writing music for the sake of writing music again it was kind of like something he needed a little break from the story so far the bigger they get he needed to kind of return to the scrappy origins of it all so to me as someone who loves the story so far loves Parker Cannon's lyrics, loves his vocals. And then, like, I love hardcore punk and I love pop punk. I'm a humongous Splink-182 fan. I have my ticket to see them next year for my third time at the reunion show, which the story so far is supporting them on. So, I mean, No Pressure's album is legit. Like, 10 tracks, 23 minutes, complete Blink-182, Descendants love, with, like, nods to Gorilla Biscuits. It's... It is literally like the sound of all of the 
greats of pop punk mixed together. The the songs are so snappy, minute to minute and a half, huge, chunky, Blink-182 indebted bass riffs like Mark Hoppus on the bass. The drumming performance is just smashing. And Parker Cannon, that boy has just cracked the code of great emo pop punk songwriting. And this album exudes full-on sugary Take off your pants and jacket, Blink-182, fast-paced, breakneck, breakneck pace, just anthemics, wit, just a, just enough of a hardcore bite and edge. The You know, there's breakdowns, the riffs are very two-steppy, without it ever veering too, without it ever becoming hardcore, but it is, it's pop-punk from its origins as a hardcore punk genre, like Descendants did. Like, it reminds you that hardcore, that pop-punk music did come from hardcore. It was the first, when pop-punk first arrived, it was hardcore punk that was a bit catchier and more sugary and had more melody, and that's what No Pressure succeed in here. It's not about fucking neck deep. I'm not trying to, like, lash out at bands, but this is No Pressure here to remind people that pop-punk started as an offshoot of hardcore music, and it deals with his dad's past passing away his dad passing away it deals with like unrequited love deals with his failed relationship it the, the lyrics are very touching and they're and they're very earnest and honest and they're done in such a way that it's like this album isn't trying to really you know it's like i'm not trying to get too into everything that's going on with me in my life but you know here's a snapshot of kind of everything that's happened to me in the last few years over these anthemic fucking songs you know it's real just it's a real personal lovely connection without ever being too dark and heavy-handed and it and it runs the gamut of pop punk formula in in a way that hasn't just sounded this enjoyable in fucking years it, it's the best pop punk album i have heard since I'd nearly say some of the all-time greats, and I would go that far. I think it's the best pop-punk revival album I've heard in fucking years. No pressure, mm. self-titled debut. It's outstanding. It's an absolute ball of fun. It's really fuck. It's really, really fun. Yeah. It's too fun. It's one of those albums that... Great record. You could almost already dance to it. And it's one of those records that by the time the second hook comes on each song, you can mm. sing along to it. Absolutely. It's that energetic and sugary and it's what it reminds me of what like when I heard Take Off Your Pants and Jacket when I was fucking 10. That's what it feels like listening to this record. Even though lyrically it's a bit darker, a bit more mature, musically this is it it's pop punk for the hardcore fan and it's it's too fun to ignore. My, that's why it's so high up here. And and it's could totally scratch the itch for me while I wait for more stories so far music. Mm. No pressure, self-titled debut, cracking, cracking record. Everyone who likes Blink or Pop Punk or Rock that I've recommended it to has like come back to me being like, thank you. So no pressure. Boom. Um, yeah, great record. Uh, my number seven is one that you talked about last week. And you I, I can't remember what number you had it at, but I have it pretty fucking high. Uh, because when three members of Vane decide to enlist a vocalist called Marissa Shirar and make an alternative rock slash Suge's record. Oh, good golly, just roll me over and tickle my belly. Fleshwater, We're Not Here To Be Loved is fucking yeah. unbelievable. This fucking slaps. The Kurt Ballou production job adds real heft to the guitars when necessary. And Marissa's vocals just soar out of the speakers at you in a really, really wonderful way. She actually sounds a lot like that screaming female vocal uh, that we talked about on the White Boney album. Um, despite this being billed as a vain side project, Anthony DiDio 
really kind of serves as a foil for Marissa rather than the main event because she is the big differentiating factor between Fleshwater and Vane for me. Because musically, given some of the sonic experimentations that Vane go through on their that year's record, this year's record, some of this could actually musically fit on the Vane record. But the way that Marissa's vocals explode on a track like Closet really set it apart from the band's day job. Musically, it's like Deftones meet nothing, meet Smashing Pumpkins. And as you mentioned last week, hum. Hum are all over this record. Um, I love the more melodic passages on This World Is Going To Ruin You, the Vane record. So I was very excited to hear what the alt-rock Vane would sound like. And this does not disappoint in the slightest. It has that same grunge-like feel of something like Milk Teeth, and I fucking loved Milk Teeth. I really missed that band. Um, and something this record has that I absolutely adore is a real sense of menace, a kind of a sickly feeling that lurks beneath the surface. You touched on it um, when yeah. you were talking about it. And it's a kind of malevolent presence presented in this beautifully dirty fashion on here. I feel as though this record has been specifically engineered for me in 2022 because I am primed for a Deftones inspired shoegaze side project album from an outrageously brilliant hardcore band. Uh, if people have not heard of this band, like I would just, you have to get on them immediately because if the constant repressing and vinyl selling out of this record or anything to go by, Fleshwater could be here to stay, man. Um, the standout track is Closet because I think the vocals are just outrageous. I think Kiss the Ladder is amazing. And I, Joe, that I don't want to be anyone. That hook is fucking unbelievable. But Fleshwater, we're not here to be loved. It was on your list and it's number seven on my list. Absolutely fucking outrageous. Yeah, that record is obscenely good. I really, really fuck with that Fleshwater record. I think, like I said, it's it's emo, alt-rock, shoegaze, but it, but you can tell it's performed by people with nastier credentials like you yeah. really can. It's sinister 100%. as fuck. My number seven, uh, I think it's an album you thought I would have gotten to by now or you knew it was going to be high enough. And we did review it on an episode of this, an early one. Spice, Viv. Mm. The second full length from California. Indie supergroup, I suppose. Uh spearheaded by Ross Ferrar, the vocalist from Ceremony. And um, there's members of another handful of like indie-based bands like in around the California area. Spice, you know, I, I fell in love with them back in 2020 with their self-titled debut. And then they dropped an EP last year in 2021. And now we're here on their second album, Viv. And to me, it just there's something about this band, man. They're like, I guess I guess like indie rock is just the best way to put it. But when you have a group of kind of um, like basically veterans at this point who've cut their teeth in everything from hardcore punk to power violence to shoegaze and dream pop bands, writing these, I wouldn't say standard indie songs, but kind of just trying to write basic alternative rock songs, everything has its own presence. And I don't really know how else to put that. With, with Spice, every single riff, every guitar, every guitar tone, every bass line, every drum fill, the violin, everything feels so poignant and in its place and serves a purpose. You know, the, the, even the setup and the composition, a lot of tracks usually starts with one instrument and it just makes, it's almost just like re, redefining how the indie sound can sound really fresh if atten attention and detail is paid to every instrument, you know? It's to give it this like, 
this just warm, memorable sound. And I find that just serves as a perfect bedrock for Ross Farrar, who writes incredibly cryptic yet personal lyrics that hint on addiction and like losing people and grief and and that's the thing here. The album runs from songs that are like, you know, super anthemic, like the opening track recovery, you said almost sounds like an emo Kasabian. And mm. it does. And then, and it's got that lovely refrain of you sacrifice perfect days to laugh through the night. And then any day now is a proper like unrequited relationship song. And, and then you have a lovely dreamy slow song like Ashes in the Birdbath, where they just, he details a day of like traveling around like on a sunny day to spread a friend's ashes. And that's one of the moments where the lovely violin playing comes in, which really can elevate the band's sound. But then you have like a minute and a half stomper like Threnody, which is just kind of, it's aggro and it's old school punk and it's energetic as fuck. But then in the latter half of the album, you have songs that are just really hypnotic and dreamy and catchy and enjoyable. And Ross Ferrer, like I said, he paints these cryptic lyrics. So, I mean, there's like there, there's a, there's hooks where you kind of think you know what he's talking about, but they're a little vague and they're open to interpretation. And and then there's and then it all culminates with climbing down the ladder. This really just kind of droning closing track where. You know, he it, he kind of talks about like I, I'm assuming like ODing or something like that. You know, and he talks about being up so high he could see into the next life, and I'm climbing down the ladder again. I'm coming back to earth. So, the album like it it vaguely talks about a lot of like dark, touching things that we mm. can all relate to or we've had insight into, and it's just packaged up in this brief ten track, thirty minute listen that's really nuanced, really catchy, really delicate. It's just, and that's the thing about Spice in general. You can go to Spice. And just have a lovely 10-track catchy album. Or if you really want to dig deep and read the lyrics and and really fall in with Ross Ferrer's kind of narratives, you'll find a darker kind of more questioning, like touching emotive experience mm. there. But the music is handled in such a welcoming, warm, lush manner that like you can almost choose where to gauge your experience when listening to a Spice record. And this album, their first album was produced by Sam Pura, who's produced a bunch of stuff for the story so far. And this album instead was only overseen by Sam Pura, but they worked with Jack Shirley, who's produced Def Heaven. Def Heaven, yeah. Jeff Rosenstock and a load of great producers and Jack Shirley's production here just like I said every instrument and every note with Spice is just so warm and welcoming mm -hmm. and instantaneous and then Ross Ferrar's performance over that it's just a brilliant piece of alternative rock incredibly mature clever well written and you can tell it's performed by people who are just seasoned vets at this point it's yes. Spice Viv amazing second album that hones and refines all the promise of their self-titled debut and for more in-depth um, kind of analysis, go back to episode 14. It was a really, really interesting chat, actually, because that's a fucking great album, a great record. Um, my number six, Jesus Christ, we're getting close to the end. Um, my number six uh, is by a band. I think we said it on the Weezer, uh, a classic album kind of um, podcast where um, there are some bands that you love and there are some bands who have albums that you love. And this band are in the second category for me because right now they have two absolutely cracking albums in their catalogue that I love and adore. This is Aum Shinrikyo by Down I Go. And the reason you're not going to hear about this album on end of year lists or things like that is because there was this last minute con controversy with its release. It was supposed to be released on Church Road with a physical version and streaming service representation and the whole lot. But when they saw the artwork for the album, Apparently the label got a little bit of a, a fright because it features um, the leader of an active terrorist death cult 
um, Shoko Ashahara and the deck cult are called Aum Shinriko. The, they give the album its name. Um, so they got cold feet and they decided to pull the release, which is kind of honestly a typical down I go story at this point. Uh, so then they just decided to release it on their own band camp and thank fuck they did because this is an absolute masterpiece of a record. It's so, so fucking good. Uh, the other album of theirs that I love is Your Lucky God That I Cannot Reach You um, because of its complete disregard for convention and genre politics. And Aum Shinriko takes that to almost more glorious levels. It's just wonderfully inventive, wildly scattershot, weirdly melodic, and it it should be heralded by every major outlet for just how brilliant it is. It's massively heavy in parts and then completely euphorically joyous in others. And that joyous nature is aided by a simply incredible brass performance from someone whose name escapes me. I know the band made a post on one of their socials heralding that person's performance, but I can't find it. So I'm so sorry. But whoever you are, you're a fucking legend. Um, this record has this desperation to it that I just fucking love. There's screams from the point of view of the leader, Ashahara, like, mine uranium in Australia, and why won't you acknowledge me? They're just so anthemic, but your enthusiasm to join in the role play is tempered by the knowledge of the horrible acts committed by this cult. Down I go of always made concept albums, some about robots or dinosaurs or Atlantic, Icelandic folktales, but this might be the most cohesive story to date. It's post-hardcore botchy and masterpiece with loads of melody, personality and phenomenal brass work. What's not to love? The standout track is really impossible to pick, but maybe the Rage Against the Machine-ish riffing of You Don't Leave. I really hope people seek this out because it's fucking unstoppable. Down I go. Aum Shinrikyo is fucking incredible. Get on it. I need to check out that Down I Go record because I actually haven't listened to it and Down I Grow are just, they're class. But that, yeah. we could have a whole other conversation about that. My Absolutely. Number, my number six, Jesus, we're getting close to the top five now. Yeah. So just outside of the top five, my number six is an album that you mentioned in last week's episode and I am so happy that you had it in your top 20. Black Midi, Hellfire. I have been a fan of Black Midi since their debut Schlagenheim, which was total art punk, sonic youth indebted, noise rock nonsense of the highest order. Then one of their guitar players left and they did the most logical thing. The three of the remaining members decided to enlist a session sax player and pianist and just go on a completely different avant-garde John Zorn, Mr. Bungle, Primus influenced jazz prog noise direction on their second album, Cavalcade, which I fucking loved. It was one of my favorite albums of last year. And Hellfire, like I'd anticipated, isn't the complete, it isn't the mad jump in style that Cavalcade was from Schlagenheim. Hellfire is like a refinement of the jazzy chaos that was Cavalcade. Hellfire to me is like, you know, it's the sound of Black Midi going from another one of those math rock influenced UK indie post-punk bands to, to basically becoming the UK's answer to math rock fucking primus. The Like you said, the narratives on here are incredible. Jordy Greep songwriting. Unreal. The, 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 they're almost like David Lynch style fucking Twin Peaks stories like huge like mad characters like huge eccentricities the, and like and then the topics come and characters converge and meet in different songs and I mean you go from the 
the mayhem of the boxing match on Sugar 2 to Cameron Picton, the bassist who does the odd bit of vocal on his track Eat Men Eat about the miners and like I'm their captain becoming a cannibal and like that shit is fucking terrifying mm-hmm. and the, the race is about to begin is like the closest to a Dillinger escape plan intensity I've ever heard a band that isn't Dillinger get without sounding like fucking Dillinger. The album is, and the album has like two modes. It has Lynchian nightmare fuel, jazz, prog, noise rock mayhem. And then it has lush ballroom, flamenco, lounge, fucking still sounds like a Serge Gainsbourg song. The Defense is one of the sweetest, loungiest, dreamiest, lush kind of pieces of like just flamenco art you could ever hear, even though the lyrics are from the point of view of a pimp defending his brothel. Mm. And then and then like dangerous liaisons. Like the, a lot of the time it feels like you're watching a musical directed by David Lynch. You know, the songs are like really theatrical and but then the lyrics are incredibly dark and strange and abstract, yet tell these warped narratives. Black Midi, like they're in their mid-20s, it's their third record, and the artistry they're showing just leaves so many of their contemporaries in the dust. I they're incredible. And, and it's weird. It they're a band who've gotten so much success and they're so popular, even though their sound is indebted to really experimental artists like Primus and John Zorn and Mr. Bungle and that type of really avant-garde, jazz-influenced, prog, psychedelic, mathematical rock that is like almost impenetrable. But the more you listen to it, the more you can't ignore the mayhem. It's and inescapable. Yeah. And like, and you just can't ignore the artistry and like the, and there's almost, there is almost a sense of flexing how technical they are and how talented they are. But when it's done with such panache and such animated fervor, you can't help but enjoy it and just embrace the mayhem. And we did a full episode on this where I was totally taken aback by how much you enjoyed it. Episode 21. Episode 21. We did a big talk about this album and even Tyranny, who did not like Cavalcade, which was the album of growing pains to get us to hellfire it's in your top 20 it's in my fucking just outside of my top five number six black midi hellfire one of the best pieces of experimental rock that's come out all year absolutely amazing amazing record um right top five oh uh and what a place to start um into the top five we go Ooh, my top five my number five is by a band called the Callous Dowboys. The album is called Celebrity Therapist. This album opens with some of the most furious Dillinger Escape Plan S noises you have ever heard. Remember I mentioned in in last week's episode that there was an album that kept talk crimes from being further up the charts? Yeah. Here we fucking go. Um, this quickly devolves into like these wild electronic stabs and crushing guitar parts. And it only gets better from the start. They have constructed a glorious record here. It's one that equal parts Dillinger and Panic at the Disco. Uh, the inherent sense of chaos I've talked about on other records is here to the absolute fullest. We get our first melodic passage at the end of the, f- um, the first song. And to be quite honest, it feels like we moved through several other tracks by that point. The album is dizzying in its ambition and the execution does not fall flat at that ambition either. I think it manages to provide us with some of the absolute heaviest wildest musical moments of the year and it's an absolutely thrilling experience as someone who mourns the loss of Dillinger and particularly every time I die on a daily basis this is made for me Uh, there's about 500 in the band including a full-time violinist and it really feels like it on the record every possible space is filled with another instrument to fucking beat the shit out of you with 
Uh, it's so wild that it, uh, it's interesting it comes just after you talked about Black Midi because in my notes I just wrote it's so wild it makes Black Midi seem like a Foo Fighters record <laughs> um, uh, like I tried so many times to get Zach to do a full episode of this record dear listener but he wouldn't believe me about how fucking good it is um, and you know what I, I came to it late and it, it is it's fucking incredible it is it's I was really right. brilliant um, and something I think may hinder them is their name because it's a fucking stupid name and it's a play on the Dallas Cowboys. So it's the Callis Cowboys, apparently. Uh, yeah, it's just not a, buddy, a good name. But like a buddy, of mine who I, a buddy of mine who I work with, who's recommended a lot of the bands that I, I've talked about on here and we have very similar tastes. A couple of years back when he first mentioned them before, when they put out their first album, he mm. said to me, oh, I'm, I'm, I love this band, the Callis Cowboys. And it was one of those things where, you know, I asked him to repeat it like four times and yeah. then just and then pretended I understood, but I still did not know what the fuck he was saying. Yeah. And I think, you know, people may overlook them, but they really, really shouldn't. This is such a fucking good record, man. It like deals in Dillinger and Every Time I Die Madness, as well as huge panic cards and then panic at the disco choruses, emo passages that echo brand new at their very best. This is musical chaos delivered with the precision of a fucking sniper. Um, it's wild and thrilling and unpredictable throughout. Uh, it never lets you settle down or get comfortable with what's happening around you. It's absolutely phenomenal. This album is totally fearless and could not give less of a shit what I or anyone else thinks about it. But I just absolutely love it. There's a track on here called Star Baby, which is fucking unbelievable. It has this nuts, like swinging guitar riff and this incredible pace to it. It's just really hard to resist. I find myself hardcore dancing around the office that I'm currently recording this. You know, I just love it. And there's a melodic middle section that's just stunning. And the ending of it is massive. This is such a fucking banging album. And to be honest, it should be higher on my list, even though Five is pretty high, but I promise you, I promise you, the Callis Dowboys Celebrity Therapist is worth every second of your time. It's so fucking good. So good. And that's why it's my number five. My number five. I have a feeling that because I haven't heard you mention it, it's going to be higher in yours, possibly. But my number five is, of course, we did probably one of my favorite episodes of this podcast on it, Soul Glow, Diaspora Problems. Yes, I will be speaking about it. Yes. So I won't dwell on it too long, but Soul Glow, band that I've been following for a good few years now, uh, predominantly black members, uh, very political, drawing on hardcore punk, yet with a huge focus on 90s screamo, Talk, like Seisha, Page 99, Orchid, there's as much influence drawn from that well as there is from Hardcore Punk. It, it's it's like the nexus of Hardcore Punk and nine, late 90s Screamo, but then with a huge helping of alternative hip-hop as well, more like modern alt-hip-hop. And so Glow Sound is just... I think that mixture of like warring sonics is why they've kind of made such a name for themselves because the screamo that they revive and are drawn, they draw influence from. They recently played with uh, with Seisha, they supported them, and they bring that unhinged, raw, cathartic, fucking like hyper aggressive late 90s screamo energy to essentially, you know, really 
accosting topics about you know what it's like to be black in America, and it like that almost that really politicized lyrical approach that you've heard from like Rage Against the Machine and you hear from hip hop and you do hear in hardcore bands like End It and Zulu channel the same message but with Soul Glow because they draw so much from Screamo and how fucking just unsettling that sound can be the really high pitched anguished vocals and the almost power violence kind of sonic clusterfuck to the to the hardcore performance like when you have that barrage of Screamo indebted sonics and then the vocals and lyrics that are just talking about police brutality and talking it creates such an overwhelming intimidating fucking like nihilistic oppressive experience that is somehow cathartic and then it's broken in points by moments of alternative like hip-hop like dripponomics which is a big trappy banger and then there are songs that are a bit more retro and old school in their hardcore punk fervor like um uh that that track at the back end where he's got like a fucking he almost sounds like a rabid dog you know i'm sorry the left's protesting like it's it's so political and so angry yet like the opening track begins with the sound of a bong ripping and it's called Gold Chain Punk. Who gonna beat my Who ass? Beat my ass. Yeah, which is a t- and like and that's the thing. There's a lot of hip hop kind of references and lingo used to paint these like pictures of like like because Who gonna beat my ass is like a fucking bravado attempt of like with all the racism that like I've experienced mm. and stuff like you know who's gonna step to me? Who's gonna beat my ass? And there's a lovely mixture of like modern young man, you know, just trying to make it in this world, kind of personal experience and more grandiose, timeless, political fucking experience. And I just realized you have to talk about this too. And I yeah. <laughs> blowing all my load on it. So sorry. Number That's five, okay. Soul Glow, Diaspora Problems. Fucking incredible monument to, to modern hardcore and punk and screamo. It's it's insane. And uh, it's insane. And I, I'm sure you have more to yes. say on it. My bad. I totally forgot. It's all right. Uh, yeah, Soul Glow. Pretty good. <laughs> um, my number four is, you know, sometimes, you know, as so-called serious music fans, I think we forget about the things that make us fans of music in the beginning. And the thing that I was attracted to right from the very beginning of my musical listening as a child was being able to sing along and was choruses and was fun. And you know, when you can sing along to music, it just feels good. And no one in metal or alternative feels as good to sing along to as Ghost, particularly on their new album, Impera. Um, Ghost are without a doubt the single biggest like up and coming band in music. They are the de facto next festival headliners, the leader of the pack. And they have done a true sheer force of personality and incredible songwriting. Impera is not my favorite record by Ghost, but it does contain some unbelievable songs. Spillways, Hunter's Moon, 20s, which I now love, Kaiserion, and the best track for me is Darkness at the Heart of My Love, the big fuck off ballad. This band are so fucking on it at the moment and their inevitable world domination is only around the corner if it wasn't for metallica headlining two nights at download next year ghost would be doing it they're going to sub metallica at download next year and then whenever they come back 
it ain't going to be as a sub-headliner. They are going to be headlining download. They have to. It's just, I said it on the episode, I'm not accepting anything less. They are the biggest, most over-the-top hard rock band that has emerged since the likes of Def Leppard. And you know what? They're better than anything Def Leppard have ever done, in my opinion. It's not my favourite record of theirs, as I said, but it might be the most ghost album that they've released. It's so kooky. It's so over the top. It's so fun. It's so silly. And with all of that, it outsold Slipknot this year. You know, Slipknot are one of the legendary bands in metal and hard rock and Ghost outsold them this year. They won the American Music Award, I think. I think it is it the AMA or whatever for best rock album. And you know what? They should because Ghost are a big fucking deal right now. And I think that Impera is the gold-plated solidification of that fact. In the run-up to putting the top 20 together, I realised I hadn't listened to Impera in a couple of months just because I'd been busy with other records and life and stuff. So I whacked it on and like I still know every line of every song on the record. It's completely outstanding. It's full of life. And as I said, it's a timely reminder that music at its core is supposed to make us feel good. And I think Impera really, really fucking does that for me. It has everything I want from hard rock. It's fun. It's over the top. It's cheesy but in a good way and it's just a ridiculous ball of energy and personality i think that tobias forge is the single best songwriter in the game at the moment and ghost are the single best hard rock band in the world at the moment and like i said i can't wait to see him headline download either because ghost impera is just magnificent collection of songs from a band who are not afraid to flex their ambition and show everyone that they want to be the biggest band in the world. So that's why they're my number four. My number four is the very first episode we ever recorded on this Ah, fuck. My my shout for your number one album was wrong, so. Yeah. Number four for me is Black Country, New Road, Ants from up there. This album, like, what can I say about it? I, I fell in love head over heels of Black Country New Road last year in 2021 with their debut for the first time. Amazing mix of post-rock and emo and shoegaze uh, with elements of like klezmer music and math rock. I mean, they had like, uh, they because they have a sax player, they have a pianist, they have like a, the I think the a violinist and then the sax player can play clarinet as well. And so there are tracks on that first album that go full on like Jewish klezmer music fucking breakdowns and it just that and then like and mainly at the centerpiece of it all was the front man Isaac Wood the singer slash guitar player his spoken word delivery and abstract yet really emotive lyricism and his kind of combining of you know very much his generation's like internet slang with postulated but really like deep musings about like life and social media and just really clever and abstract songwriting. And I just thought, I mean, it, it had like paid homage to spans like swans and, and fucking, and then like they even like they cite slint as an influence. And there's that like line in a song where he goes, I should have ran from the stage with my, with my trophy for world's second best slint tribute act. So like, you know, poking fun at their own influences. And, and then they mentioned in an interview that like their biggest thing that they wanted to become the next Arcade Fire, which I just thought was a weird thing for like a real post-rocky kind of band to say. And then we arrived at their second album, Ants From Up There, which came out at the start of this year. And it was really unfortunate because the same week 
the album came out, Isaac Wood actually announced his departure from the group. So the band, it's been a really weird thing where the band have toured all year on the success of this album, yet not done any songs off the album because Isaac Wood left. So they're only doing new material that they're testing for their third album. So Ants From Up There is very strange because I saw them live twice last year touring for the first time, but they were mainly doing songs off Ants From Up There. So that album, you can really hear lyrically, musically, it is an embracing of their more arcade fire influences. It's very much a conscious attempt not to just make for the first time part two. Ants from up there is it's a much more indebted to like chamber folk and Baroque pop and like Arcade Fire I mentioned and Neutral Milk Hotel be more like that rather than bands like Slint or Swans. And but the album still has this very strong post-rock feel. But it's largely uh, a chamber folk emo album. And what's really powerful about it all now is that when you really listen to it, you can hear that in the songs, Isaac Wood, is it's the soundtrack to him not being able to continue in the band. Like the lyrics detail, like his failed relationship and his feelings of anxiety and stress and in his typically cryptic way. But by the time like you get to the closing 13-minute track, Basketball Shoes, and the really intense crescendo at the end where he's basically wailing you almost hear in him that like he has that he's he's not in a good place at all man and like the and the songs are beautifully written they're so delicate like on bread song and the place where he inserted the blade and goodwill hunting then is a real like jovial more upbeat kind of indie folk piece and chaos space marine is full old school funeral era arcade fire and the lyrics take take these very like jovial narratives sometimes and uh, like and are like use characters to reflect different ideas but at the core of it, there's this underlying darkness and just, you you, can, you know, like, obviously because you know, but like, that you can really sense the sadness that was in Isaac Wood when he was crafting this material. You Every single line is delivered with the uncertainty of how he's going to go on tour and perform these songs on a regular basis, which, and it shows because he literally quit the week the album was coming out. So for, so, and you can actually hear that in his performance that there's almost like a, this is my last effort. Like I can't go on and perform these songs. There that, that much delicacy and intimacy and vulnerability is in the performance, which adds such a layer of emotive weight to what is a Baroque folk emo album that cites that that sounds a bit like the Decemberists and it like, you know, you can listen to it and enjoy it, but like you one deep listen, you really hear the darkness that's at the fringes of how this album is put together. I think it's a beautiful, cathartic, like infinitely depressing listen. And I think it's, I think it's, it's equal parts gorgeous and depressing. And each time I come back to it, it, it leaves me with such a dizzying array of emotions. It's the, it's definitely the most heavy album, not musically, if that makes sense on mm -hmm. this list. And I just think there's, and I put it above Black Midi because Black Midi's intense in a crazy, frenetic, mutant, sonically clusterfuck way. The Black Country New Road album is much more like emotive and just, direct and it, and it's really sad in that sense because it's mm. bittersweet that's the best way i can put it it's yep. a beautiful piece of work a beautiful album a beautiful piece of post-rock chamber folk emo it it's gorgeous lush piece of work and i think it'll stand the test of time i think for years ants from up there is going to be considered a bit of a modern classic in that scene okay cool um so from an album that was kind of derailed at launch by uh, a vocalist announcing his departure and 
to an album that was also derailed at launch quite a good bit by accusations of them pulling guns on people. Um, my number three and the bronze medal for 2022 for me is vain. This world is going to ruin you. Um, this band were my most listened to band this year. Um, according to by Spotify or Apt anyway, and they were always going to feature prominently on this list. And like, I do really feel that those rumors of them like getting in a big fight at their release party and pulling guns. And then do you remember it wasn't available on Spotify in Ireland and the UK for like three days, and people were like, they I didn't were, hear anything about this. Yeah, they put all this fucking shit together then online that it was like, um, you know, oh oh, they've been cancelled and their label has dropped them and all this shit. And it was like none of that had actually happened. Something had actually fucked up um, with the label and they hadn't sent it to Spotify in time or something. It was something really banal, but there was a big fight at their show and then one of them was accused of pulling a gun on someone or whatever. And I think that really derailed this band. And you know, they're another victim of fucking people overhyping the fuck out of a band and then ignoring when that band go on to completely surpass the album that they were so hyped on. Because when Vane released Arizona, you couldn't move for them. They were fucking everywhere, man. And like... This world is going to ruin you. Shits all over Arizona from a great hype. Um, this was one of my most anticipated releases of this year. Um, even though, like I said, I only barely really liked Arizona, but I wasn't blown away by it. But when I heard the singles for this, I just had a little feeling. I was like, oh, something, something is coming. And something's brewing. Yeah, man. Even my extremely high level of anticipation didn't prepare me for just how good this is. Um, the Slipknot comparisons are there. The Code Orange comparisons are there. But this album is uniquely, resolutely Vane.fm. And their horror movie inspired take on hardcore punk and alt metal is just so fucking delicious. Uh, the ferociousness of the opening run of tracks, the melodic experimentations on fear and nonfiction, and the expansiveness of the closing track means that not only are Vane one of the most exciting bands in the world right now, they have potential to be even greater, which is kind of frightening because this is an unbelievable album. The integration of electronics, sampling and the absolute mangling of a piano have all made this a gargantuan step up in quality from Arizona. And people bigged up Arizona to the fucking moon. And this is way better than it. And this absolutely cements Vane in that big four of modern hardcore alongside Code Orange, Knock Loose and Turnstile. And each, in the way that each of those bands have their own take in the genre, so do Vane. And their take is this dark, nightmarish, totally invigorating, terrifying concept album about just the hideousness of the world. And on a track like Wavery, it's just the sound of a band flexing their creative muscles and nailing it on their first go. Vain are the absolute shit. And my God, am I excited about where they go next? Because for me, this is like an absolute nine out of 10. I just think that they have a forever in them. They have a fucking underneath by code orange in them they have a they have a 10 out of 10 somewhere around the corner and i just can't wait to hear it because this is unfucking real vain fm this world is going to ruin you is my third favorite album of the year absolutely unreal 
Yeah, I had it uh, last week in my top 20. I think it was something like 19 because yeah. there's just so many other albums I really love this year. But my God, I even remember when we did the episode on This Word Is Going To Ruin You, we were both just blown the yeah. fuck away by yeah. it. Even when I revisited it there a couple of weeks back, it yeah, it's still like, I know every nook and cranny and trick that's around the corner, but I still get shook when I yeah. listen to it. I'm still it's like, oh, so I knew that was coming. But like when, when that fucking... When the breakdown just becomes a trudging clusterfuck at the end of the killing womb, I yeah. always know it's coming, but it always still makes me go, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, so good. So my number three, my bronze medaler, is a very little known album uh, by a band that I never even heard of until this year. They're a band called Dropped Out. And this is their... I think it's their second or third release, but it's like their first album since signing to a record label and, you know, actually getting a push and getting it pressed to vinyl. And there are songs on here that are re-recorded, reimagined versions of earlier songs that were demos on previous releases. So this seems like their first kind of proper LP. Mm -hmm. And the album's called Get Lost. And again, if you like, I've made the point already, I love pop punk and I love emo and I love catchy songs. And I mentioned like one another album here in my top 10 is the self-titled No Pressure debut full length that came out this year. Now, while that is like complete unadulterated pop punk with very much like hardcore punk influence and like reminds you of where hardcore punk came from with the descendants and all that and pop punk dropped out is doesn't really have that much of a hardcore edge but there is still there in the especially in the drumming in the performances but for the most part this is a three piece they're a three piece band from Texas and this is just an album that it's like a love letter to pop punk man it's super catchy 10 tracks but 25 minutes and at the but at the main point of it all is the lyrics and the vocals there's just there's such a natural lush quality to these songs and how they're written. Like they're done with just, uh, what's the word, you know, like an effortless mm. pop sensibility to, and like, don't be wrong. Like these songs breakneck with snappy pace. Like, like at times it's like you're listening to enema of the state. The bass is super thick and chunky and the drums are rapid fire, but they're all in service to the pop, to the song. But then that being said, as catchy as these songs are and sugary as they are, lyrically, man, this is a heavy fucking album. Mm. Like the opening track, I'm Still Alive, you know, just because you're gone doesn't mean that I have to die. And then there's and like and there's a lot of songs here about unrequited love or not even unrequited love. There's a lot of songs here about a failed relationship and that person moving on and then judging oneself for not being able to move on the same way you know there's a song about him realizing that his ex has gotten engaged and it's and it's a real fun upbeat song but the chorus is like it finally happened you're wearing the ring and it's like oh no fuck and it's this juxtaposition of the super fun snappy fast like like when blink sang don't leave me and you know like no one likes you when you're 23 it was like woo college relationships don't work out sometimes but like this is the sound of like pop punk by three guys in their 30s and it's like i was i i wanted to marry this girl and it didn't work out and now she's engaged to someone else and i i want a whole i want a fucking cavernous hole in the ground to swallow me 
but the only way I know how to tell this is through my love of pop punk. Mm. So the songs are super upbeat and anthemic and fun and instantaneous, but the lyrics are really dark and self-deprecating. And, you know, there's even a song called Coronary, Coronary Thrombosis, and it's about, like, his own weight, his own issues with his weight. And, you know, like... It's like, I really, really, really let myself go. I really hate looking at myself. And the drummer's behind him like, I really hate looking at myself. And it's like, it's like no, that th- they are not feel-good lyrics, man, to put into a two-minute two pop-punk song. Mm. So you really feel there are moments of, you know, like, or he says, you know, do you like, uh, do you wake up in the morning and wonder why you're alive? Well, I do. And, you know, and, and it's done with such pop-punk, sugary production, great performance, great riffs. And it is that, it's that beautiful nexus of pop punk and emo when they just kind of combine with one another. And the, mm. the, like the songs are, they're sad and they're introspective and they're, but they're 10 tracks. It's 25 minutes. The album knows when to pull back. There's even like the big single off it. Nicola is just a full on minute and a half pop song. You know, like, whoa, oh, Nicola, I would like to get to know you. And it's like, oh, that's a lovely little song before he goes back to like, I'm really not in a good place. But it's, yeah. but, but it doesn't follow any of the fucking, there's no three minute acoustic song at the back half to be like, this is the really sad one where I let the guard down. This is 10 tracks, super precise, super energetic, well performed, and pop punk with a really dark, introspective, emotional quality in the lyrics mm-hmm. and just, just and the pop sensibility the writing here it's so sharp think about the fact that i literally have this higher than the no pressure record which is made by lads in the scene i love but this band dropped out i just came upon them randomly doing a genre check thing at work they're total unknowns their music videos are self-produced they have about a thousand streams on spotify and youtube yep. a band i really want to champion and get more people to listen to their album get lost is a phenomenal piece of emo pop punk uh, and and an album I keep coming back to and it keeps emotionally resonating with me while being just super energetic and catchy. I can't recommend it enough. Bronze medal, dropped out, get lost. So uh, a band that I want to fucking champion from the absolute rooftops. Um, there was a part of me, because we're getting on to my number two now. There was a part of me that wanted to put this number one. Because I feel like we're going to look back on this record as an important record. Um, Some of you probably figured out by now that, uh, yeah, I said this is going to be here. It was your number five. My number two is Diaspora Problems by Saul Glaw. Some bands come along and introduce themselves to you in this fucking ball of energy and excitement, like through social media or magazines or online blogs or whatever. And some bands do it just as soon as you hit play on the record. And that's what Salt Law do. Like, as soon as you press play on Diaspora Problems, you're assaulted with this manic, untamed punk energy. So much so that the album is probably finished by the time you can pause for breath. This is a fucking fantastic ride through social issues, personal issues, mental health problems, and raising mental health awareness. And, you know, talking about therapy and uh, and they're just, and then the reality of life for people from a completely different background to me. The grim, harsh reality of growing up as an underprivileged black person in America is laid completely bare here on Diaspora Problems. 
But as we mentioned on our full length review, as heavy as all of that is as a topic to take on, Saul Glow have made this album fun, which is an incredible achievement. As anyone who will have heard it um, thus far will attest, the freewheeling punk rock mayhem of the opening track, Gold, Gold Chain Punk, Who Gonna Beat My Ass, provides us with the year's most unlikely hook. Who gonna beat my ass? It's just so good, so infectious, so great. Um, this album is completely out of control at most points, and Pierce Jordan's vocal performance is wildly unconventional. The mix of hardcore, old school, and new um, hip-hop is wildly unpredictable. It's a genuinely fresh and exciting record. And I think, as we've talked about loads, and by my calculations, you're going to talk about once more, um, hardcore is the most exciting genre of music in the world right now. Um, and if justice be done, Soul Glow should be at the very forefront of this in a few years' time. Genuinely, the first two and a half minutes of this album races through more stuff than most albums do in their entire duration. And it only keeps going. As in, like, it never lets up. This pace and wild abandon is something of a lot, like, like, it's just glorious, like, you know, and there is a sense in me, like I said, that this could be seen as something of a landmark, as in a few years time, people are going to reference diaspora problems as a classic that opened doors and made people stand up and pay attention. The standout track for me has to be Gold Chain Punk, Who Gonna Beat My Ass? But to be honest, there isn't a second on this that is anything short of fucking brilliant. I cannot express how much how much this album has resonated with me how much i've enjoyed it how much it kicks the shit out of me every time i listen to it how heavy emotionally it is but how much fun it is and like i said i really struggled with this because i wanted to like you know this is our first year as a podcast and for our first albums of the year show <laughs> that people are going to hear <laughs> at least um i wanted to i wanted to put this number one just to make a statement but again i want to be honest as well and there is just one more album this year that i enjoyed more than it and that's the only reason it's not number one because it's just so fucking good it's so fucking good and given how high it was in your chart and the fact that it's my number two i think that might make it the further record album of the year i Lovely. think I think combined it's because I know what your next two are. I'm just not sure what order they're in. But um, yeah, it, it just it's so great. Absolutely so great. So glad I asked for our problems. You ought to yourself to check it out because it's fucking killer. And it's my number two album of the year. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad it's even higher on yours than it's mine because it was number five for me. Yeah, because it just it had to get edged out by Black Country New Road and dropped out. I'm just obsessed with I revisited again yesterday I was like yeah it has to be number three so my number two as you said already you know what my two are you just don't know what order they're in and they're two albums you've mentioned already now I ummed and awed and wrestled with myself over I knew these two albums were going to be the top two but I am still quite surprised they're both the top two but I kind of had to decide between channeling the darkness and the darkness with a hint of light and in that case, my number two is Chatpile, God's Country. This album, like you mentioned earlier, 
it has a new metal stank off it, especially the bass, like you said. It, it's like a sludge metal album, but it's more experimental metal that draws on sludge metal and post metal. But bass wise, it fucking it it takes it it leaves fucking pages from like Cold Chamber and Corn mm. back when new metal sounded really dark and unsettling. But as you said, at the core of this is Raygon Bush's performance, the unsettling howling, screeching, rambling ravings of a madman approach he takes to his delivery from his lyrical assault on, you know, slaughterhouse being from the point of view of a guy who works in a slaughterhouse. Why questioning the homeless crisis in America? Fucking Pamela, which at first is just read when you don't know what Pamela is about. It's really caustic and unsettling to a point where the first time I heard Pamela I genuinely wasn't sure if I'd ever be able to listen to it again and then finding out that the lyrics were from the point of view of Jason Voorhees mother Mm -hmm. from the the 13th film knowing that made the song at least a bit more manageable but the first time hearing that song and not knowing what it's about and that refrain of so I stare at the lake, biding my time, waiting to die. And the ending where he starts shrieking, resurrect my son. Like that fuck, like if the wrong person listens to that unprepared, it can really trigger some harrowing emotions. And I mean, and but then what, what I remember the first time I listened to the album as well, what blew me the fuck away then is you get to a song like Anywhere, which as you said, sounds like Nirvana. It's mm. got a trudging fucking grunge riff to it. Like, and the thing is here, what makes God's Country such a powerful album? I mean, not 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 even talking about Raygun Bush's like horrible first-person perspective narratives he takes into just dissecting America and poverty and how fucked the country is. You know, like that's what they said the whole album is like reflective of like where they live in middle America and all the scum that's hidden under the surface of God's Country. You know. You know, she says vain stuff freaks her out, so I keep quiet. Everyone can't oh, handle stuff until they try it. Like on fucking Wicked Puppet Dance. Like that no, lyric. It's horrible. Man. It's fucking horrible. And like, and he genuinely like he you can tell, like, I mean, Chad Pyle recently scored a horror film, and Raygun mm. Bush is uh, acts in the horror film. And I've watched live videos at the band, and in between, he'll be bantering with the crowd, naming obscure horror movies. With so obviously, he's a big horror fan, writing songs from the point of view of characters from horror films. But then he's also like using these first-person narratives, like in Wicked Puppet Dance, to write songs about addiction and songs about like the really scummy part of Middle America. And he does it in a way like someone who is a scholar of horror and how to push buttons and unsettle someone. Even The Mask, which is a song from the point of view of a dude who literally killed people in a diner in his hometown. Mm. And like, and he really sounds like someone like doing a monologue. It, it sounds fucking harrowing. So, I mean, the Chatpile album is just so dark. It's so aggressive. Like you said, it's so impenetrable and so challenging and gloomy. So challenging. But what's really fucking strange then about it is the fact that a song like Pamela has post-metal nuance and a song like Anywhere has a Nirvana grunge trudge and it has this... I don't care if I burn sounds like someone like Tom Waits, you know? Yeah, there's that fucking the spoken word. Yeah. It's one of those really avant-garde Nick Nick Cave interludes or something. Mm. The album, 
the thing about chat pile god's country is for as dark and unsettling and disturbing and fucking viciously heavy and intimidating mm. as it is there are moments on this album where it's like fuck chat pile could literally go anywhere on their next album there are signs of grunge there are signs of post metal there are really tiny moments of melody where that are <laughs> yeah they're they're fleeting at, they're fleeting at best and, and as soon as they happen they're smothered like yeah. you don't get any more of that light no but there but it just shows an uh, like an artistry with chatpile that they could go anywhere that they choose to and i am and the fact that this is their, their debut full length after like two eps i am so intrigued to hear where they go next this is mm. one of the best debuts i've heard in so long and i know you know me i all crazy I, that it's a debut man crazy like crazy. i said crazy they have two eps before this and they've scored a film now so they're obviously like really getting prolific now but but god's country man i first heard the chat pile through a split they did with portrayal of guilt who are one of my favorite fucking boys like, eh, eh, eh. I better get one of them in there because you're getting I one. Get, yeah, I had to get a mention in. But chat pile, they they've scratched that itch for me. Whereas, but without relying on like the tricks of betrayal of guilt, you know, the blackened aspects and the harsh, noisy aspect. Like that's one type of way to be challenging. Chat pile is a whole other beast entirely. Mm -hmm. And the way the guys you know, they, they strike me as those guys. They take their art seriously, nothing else. They're very unpretentious in their promo photos, in their performances. They seem like real jovial, nice guys, but they take their art so serious. And it Absolutely. is really, it's an experiment in heavy music being as challenging and caustic as possible. And it was an album I was a little latecomer to, and then I understood the hype immensely. Yeah. I can't get over how every time I listen to God's Country by Chatpile, I feel like I need a fucking shower. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, uh, we did a full episode on it, and I think it absolutely deserved that full episode. And 100%. I think that the craziest thing about this record for me is like we did their scariest albums of uh, of all time for um for the Halloween episode, yeah. and I'd only had this album for a few weeks before that, and I was genuinely considering putting it in there. Like it's oh, I put, we both put it in our yeah. horror mentions for that. It's episode. fucking hideous and awesome and terrifying and all of that good stuff. But yeah, great record and a great choice for your number two, which brings me to my number one. Uh, before I get to my number one, I'm just going to give a quick run through all the rest of my records. Uh, Number 20, Greg Puchado, Miracell. 19, Regulate by Regulate. 18, Black Midi Hellfire. 17, Jamie Lenman, The Atheist. 16, Interrupters in the Wild. 15, Carper to Brute, Leather Terror. 14, Birds and Row, Gris Klein. 13, Just Mustard, Heart Under. 12, Thought Crimes, Altered Pass. 11, Blood Command, Praise Armageddonism. 10, 1975, Being Funny in a Foreign Language. 9, Chatpile, God's Country. 8, Cult of Luna, Long Road North. 7, Fleshwater, We're Not Here to Be Loved. Six, Down I Go, Aum Shinrico. Five, The Callous Doughboy, Celebrity Therapist. Four, Ghost Impera. Three, Vain FM, The World Is Going to Ruin You. Two, Soul God, Asper Problems. Which brings me to my number one album of 2022. Which is no surprise to anyone here. And obviously no surprise to you either, Mr. Buggy. Your prediction for my number one record was absolutely bang on. My number one album is Heavy Pendulum by Kevin. Yeah! Do yeah. I know my tyranny or do I know my tyranny? You do, you do. You absolutely do. Um, I'm delighted I'm so predictable. And do you know what? I'm not even surprised because 
like I, I think from the way I talked about it on the episode we did on it it, it was, was always going to be heavy pendulum it always from was. the moment I listened to it I was like okay that's that's top of my list and no matter what's come along since I've been like do I prefer it to heavy pendulum by Kevin no should it be above Kevin heavy pendulum no and like we talked about a lot of artists this year that I was aware of, but I never dived into. And now one of those bands has made my number one album. Um, this record made just a huge impact on me from the moment I heard it. The combination of gargantuan riffs, huge melodies and incredible production from the grandmaster himself, Mr. Kerfalu, is just completely irresistible to me. Um, despite the fact that it clocks in at a fairly considerable 70 minutes, it just absolutely flies by. It's engaging. It's exciting from start to finish. I just fucking adore it. And for the second year in a row, after last year's Blood Moon album, uh, Stephen Brodsky and Nate Newton feature on my, <laughs> my number one album of the year. And um, you know how I spoke about Blood Moon um, because I, like, I loved that record. And I think Heavy Pendulum is better than it. And like every year, like I find a, a band I never really listened to before and I fall completely in love with it. And Kevin, you know, are that band, that kind of instant infatuation. Um, I really want to check out more of this band's records, but this this unique gravitational pull of Heavy Pendulum is just, it won't let me listen to anything else. By them, I just can't stop listening to it. It's like Mastodon meets Converge meets Down meets Failure. Uh, what's not to fucking love? That's your perfect band smoothie. Oh, band man. it's like it's all there. I just, I love it so much. Um, the brute force of Blood Spiller all the way to the glorious elegance of Wavering Angel is one hell of a ride. And it's one that I, I listen to this album about once a week. Like, you know, even like we reviewed it very early on, I think. And yeah. I just, I can't stop listening to it. I just think it's fucking brilliant. And there's so much good about it. And like, if you like riffs, it's there. If you like progressive music, it's there. If you like hooks, it's there. If you like, like melody, it's there. If you like kind of beauty and grace and elegance, as I said, something like Wavering Angel, like which serves as an epic closer to the album and also as a beautiful tribute to their fallen bandmate, Caleb Schofield, who I haven't mentioned yet, but like, he passed away and the band have kept some of his riffs and his melodies and they, his presence is keenly felt on here while never, it's never a mawkish kind of, you know, overly cynical or sentimental record. And it's just so beautiful. This, this record for all intents and purposes should not exist. The band's previous album was called Final Transmission. And here we are with another addition to their back catalogue, which I will now check out that I've done the 2022 end of year list and I can free myself from the clutch of um, Heavy Pendulum because I just love it so much. It's got everything I could possibly want from a heavy album in 2022. And there's part of me that wishes I could have gone for something, you know, like Soul Glow, but I just couldn't. I couldn't. This speaks to both the Muso and the Neanderthal in me. And when you can do that, you've got a winning combination. So yeah, my album of the year, um, and it has been from the moment I first pressed play on it, uh, is Heavy Pendulum by Kevin. Absolute fucking stunner. I like 
how you put that from the moment you first pressed play on the album, it was your album of the year. I almost feel the same about my number one. I'm going to do my quick run through of my 20 from last week and this week to where we are now. So 20, Alex G, God Save the Animals. 19, Vain FM, This World is Going to Ruin You. 18, Imperial Triumphant, Spirit of Ecstasy. 17, Fleshwater, We're Not Here to Be Loved. 16, High Viz, Blending. 15, The Wonder Years, The Hum Goes On Forever. 14, Phantom Bay, Self-Titled. 13, End It, Unpleasant Living, Compilation LP, whatever the fuck you want to call it. 12, Mind Force, New Lords. 11, Turnover, Myself in the Way. 10, Drug Church, Hygiene. 9, Terror, Pain into Power. 8, No Pressure, Self-Titled. 7, Spice, Viv. 6, Black Midi, Hellfire. Five, Soul Glow Diaspora Problems. Four, Black Country, New Road, Ants from Up There. Three, Dropped Out, Get Lost. Two, Chat Pile, God's Country. And I think you know full well what my number one has to be. My album of 2022 is the second full-length self-titled album from Regulate. Now, I have already said multiple times over the last two episodes that 2022 has been a banner year for hardcore music. Mind Force, New Lords, amazing piece of crossover thrash. No Pressure, brilliant piece of hardcore indebted pop-punk revival. Fucking terror, pain into power, like seasoned veterans coming back to show everyone how it's done. This album, like there's a ton of other great hardcore albums I didn't even mention, like Gehenna, Negative Hardcore, Super Oppressive, Dark, Black Metal-influenced hardcore. This has been a great year. Phantom Bay's like emo hardcore has been amazing. But above it all, Soul Glow, fucking Screamo, all hip-hop hardcore. This has been such an insane year for hardcore punk. But above it all, I mentioned earlier that No Pressure, they're like a super group, and their drummer is also the drummer in Regulate. So when this Regulate album was just being announced, Parker, the vocalist in No Pressure, who's obviously affiliated with the Regulate guys, said, oh, this is the hardcore album of the year. And then Drain posted saying, this is the best album of the year. Wait till you hear it. And so I was very hyped for Regulate's self-titled album. And then I saw musings online from people saying, this has the same energy and disregard for genre parameters that Glow On exuded last year. And then I got like, oh, fuck. So it isn't just going to be some standard hardcore fare. There's going to be a bit more bit more dynamic shit going on here. So I was very eager. Now, I must say from the off, one of the reasons I think I love this Regulate album so much is because since their first album in The Promise of Another Tomorrow, they've really embraced a more melodic hardcore influence, which, and I really don't think they cite this band as an influence, but I mentioned it to you beforehand. This album sounds in part so much like Your Demise. And I fucking love Your Demise. They're, I, lo- so do I, I love Your Demise are like very self-aware, even in the fact that like one of their catchphrases is Your Demise is a gateway hardcore band. Like they love like the, the notion that like a lot of people started out listening to them to get them into hardcore and melodic hardcore. There are songs on this Regulate album where Sebastian Paba, the vocalist, who, like you said earlier, he sounds like Chuck from Death when he's screaming. He has such an abrasive, harsh, fucking resonant shriek. Yet, when he sings clean vocals, which he really dabbles in on this album, it has the swagger of like the, the melodic hardcore edge of songs off The Golden Age by Your Demise. Songs like the hook on In The Moment, 
really reminds me of like the kids we used to be or something like that from your demise. And then like there's a really strong political element to this album too, because Sebastian Paba is black and a lot of the lyrics on here, like the crime, you mentioned it earlier when you were talking about it. That song details, you know, like the statistics of black people being killed in America in shootings by police, police shootings. And like that song, I find rival soul glow for its intensity and for like how eye-opening it really feels. And when he, he starts dissecting, you know, cops interactions with white people and then juxtaposing them with like how, how they react when it's, and it's like, it's fucking frightening the fury in that song. And then something like, why can't we, you know, the album ranges from moments of total aggression and like nihilistic fucking, like just despair and songs that are trying to urge more positive thinking. Like, you know, why can't we love? Why can't we feel? Why can't we be there for each other? And then why can't we just has a big mad fucking breakbeat drum fill in the middle and Sebastian Paba lets out a lot of his just fucking animated swagger. And like the fact, like the album has two modes, like complete anger and, and more self-aware fun. And like you said, hair, 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 hair just shows that like, if they wanted, like when glow on came out, it was like, if they won't do it, but if Turnstile wanted, they could just drop everything else and become a huge indie band. Like hair off of this Regulate album shows that the band could become the next big radio rock band if they wanted everything. And like how well it's put together, like you said, that block tap. Yeah. Oh my God, it's just so memorable. Yet then you have a song like fucking Work and the hook on Work, man, you know, the the life, there was a, the, the, the time, the effort, the life that you're after is laughed at and spat on by the bastards in power. They, they've never given what you give, but they want you to work harder. The American dream is reserved. No new members. No new it members. Doesn't, <sighs> it doesn't matter which side you're on. If you're born working class, you're done. These things were made to keep you in your place. Like that song is just, fu- that's like a total rallying cry to just like, you don't like, it doesn't fucking matter what you believe. Like it's, it's poor versus the fucking rich. Like, and we're kept down at all times. Work is just fucking, yes. Underneath about like you have albums that are this filled with rage and they're just clusterfucks of chaos. Rarely do you have an album this filled with political rage and angst at the fucking state of the world that is also this catchy and this genre fluid where the riffs are so memorable and like even fucking New York hates you is just so like the way it swipes at people, you know, coming through New York and fucking like playing their show and bailing again and not really thanking the scene or fucking. And I just left it. We won't see you around because New York fucking hates you. We won't see you around. And they're very much the champion being from New York, being from Long Island, being straight. I just think there's something about Regulate, man. And this album, like you can really tell because it was four years since their first album because of COVID they took time to write it and you can really sense Sebastian Paba's lyrics have come in the wake of COVID and George Floyd passing away and all of the Black Lives Matter movement kind of swelling up and the anger and disillusionment that has happened in America especially for young black people like Soglo's album reflecting Sebastian Paba's rage and fury with the state of the country around him like it fucking just brims from every moment of this album while the album never falls victim to its own despair and nihilism mm. and aggression it's handled in such a fucking dynamic fun playful way it's 10 tracks 25 minutes it doesn't overstay its welcome but like the parts of this that that are angry and aggressive 
are more intense than terror or mind force for me this year. And yet then hooks on like fucking hair or like the fucking instrumental, like massive riffage on Yugata. Like th- this album, like says so much in so brief a time mm-hmm. and everything from the riffs to the energy, to the aggression. Every time I come back to this album, it blows me away like it's my first time. And from the moment I first press play on it and the fucking comes in on in the moment, I knew. And it, then it stops and it has the dun, dun, fire. And as soon as it kicks in, I knew. I was like, this is, this is the one. I knew that it was going to be my hardcore album of the year. But after repeat listens, and, I, and it all came down last night. I was really like doing the finishing touches and it was chat pile and regulate and chat pile. Every time I listen to it resonates and leaves me like affected, but regulate does the same thing with its slight glimmer of hope, mm-hmm. which is the only reason I put it above chat pile. So my number one album of 2022 is regulate self-titled fucking immense piece of punk. And I think it'll be an album that will be heralded as another cornerstone in modern hardcore. And it's and like in the wake of Glow On, like another band following that genreless trajectory. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I make that six records that we shared. So we got Regulate, Black Midi, Vein FM, Soul Glow, Flesh Water, and Chapoil. I think that's I think that's it, because I, yeah. I think I think yeah. Wonder Years was an honourable mention of yeah. yours. Yeah. And Drug Church was an honourable mention of yours. Yeah. So we got six. So, yeah. That's pretty good. I, it's kind of more than I expected. I thought we might have three or four. But um, I I, I think we've given a good flavour of, of what we're about here at For The Record as well. I think we, we try to be as varied as possible. I know at some points it's kind of a little predictable that we're both going to have so much fucking hardcore in here or like hardcore, but it's just the best. It's the best. Hardcore hasn't been this good like since fucking Gorilla Biscuits or like fucking Shelter in the 90s. This hardcore hasn't been this good like since hardcore started and became hardcore. It's the best it's been in in the 21st century for me anyway 100% this is the best hardcore has ever been because for a long time hardcore was in the shadow of deathcore and metalcore and the genres it had helped mm-hmm. to spawn but now you know the chickens have come home to roost and everyone's just realized how good hardcore is on its Absolutely. own it is and how dynamic the genre can be without having to actually fuse it 50-50 with another genre i think that half of my list um, is hardcore adjacent, if not fully hardcore. So yeah, you know, same. yeah. Um, so yeah. Look, hardcore it's been, adjacent should be its own genre by now. It should. Uh, it's been a great year for hardcore. It's been a great year for music and tunes, and it's been a great year for us as well. I think we've covered a, a lot of really cool shit, and we look forward to do more of it. But uh, next year, our next episode, I said, "Jesus, I'm getting ahead of myself." Um, we are going to do for the records awards which is basically like a, a it's not an award show because we're not giving anyone anything really but we're going to hand out some imaginary awards it's just the way of kind of summing up the year that we've just had in music and we're going to talk about some negative awards but we're also going to talk about like some positive shit as well so like we got like the legend of the year um so just someone that we think has had a really fucking good year mm. um and and then there's like you know the knobhead of the year award. Um, so someone who hasn't had that much of a good year, me. <laughs> uh, so like you know, most disappointing album, surprise of the year, all that kind of good shit. Um, so yeah, 
giving away everything to the people. They don't need to know everything. That's true. They, that's they've true. They've got enough of a snifter. So it's just basically our way of wrapping up the year with some, and it's going to be kind of fun. We're not going to go into anything too serious, I don't think. Um, but yeah, that should be good fun next next week. Uh, episode thirty five, if that even matters anymore. Um, of for the record is going to be the for the records twenty twenty two awards, I guess. Um, but that. Dear listener, over the past two weeks has been for the records albums of the year for 2022. A kind of a varied look at some of the best that this year has had to offer musically. And it's been a fucking absolute blast, man. I've loved hearing your list and, you know, you've given me stuff that I'm going to check out now, even at this stage of the year, you know. So it's just great. Music is just, uh, I say it every week, but I really mean it. And like, it's not just like a catchphrase for me. I just mean it. Music is the fucking best. And uh, thank you so, so much for listening with us. I get in touch for the record pod on Facebook and Instagram. Tell us your album of the year. Tell us what you think of our list, if we're fucking talking through our hoops or not. Um, but yeah, this has been awesome. Um, my name is Sean Tierney. Thank you so much for listening. Music is the best. Music is the best. I'm Zach Buggy. Thank you for listening as always. Have a great Christmas. Bye. Oh, yeah. Happy Christmas. Bye. Boom. <laughs>